Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hello, this is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. The healthcare and senior care industries are realizing that treating the whole person is just as important as treating the medical needs of that patient. And that's the idea behind LifeSpark. The Minnesota-based firm provides a variety of services from primary care to home care to senior living and also adds additional services like transportation. In fact, earlier this week, LifeSpark announced a new partnership with Envoy America to provide companion and transportation services to LifeSpark clients. I recently talked to LifeSpark founder and CEO Joel Thiessen about why taking a more holistic approach to care is so important. LifeSpark offers a holistic approach to aging. You offer home care, home health care, transportation, pet care. It sort of runs the gamut. How important are these services, these additional services to the average senior? And how do they keep seniors out of the hospital? Yeah, Dan, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, it's it's just a simple answer in the sense of those are the things that are purposeful for people, right? I mean, people call them now so- social determinants of health, but a lot of those things, including the health stuff, is really what keeps people um, thriving and, and what we like to say sparking every day. So I think, you know, each one has its own place and, and uh, you know, that's that holistic nature, be it, you know, on more of the psychosocial side, more on the relationship side or more on the health or wellness side. But it's just so individual with, with humans. And I think that's where healthcare needs to really start focusing on that holistic side versus just the point solutions that are mostly available to seniors in the market today. When you're dealing with payers and providers, and let's talk about, you know, MA plans and ACO organizations, how do you convince them that these services offer a return on their investment? Because we're starting to see some criticism, even out of Washington, about MA plans being too expensive. They're maybe not serving their beneficiaries the way they should. Yeah, I think the the trick, right, is that, you know, what LifeSpark's done a little differently, Diane, is, you know, we also have our own primary care group. We have our own physicians. We have our own advanced practice nurses. So what's different about LifeSpark is we do take global risk on Medicare Advantage populations today, as well as dual eligible populations and ISNIP populations. So we do have uh, relationships and contracts at the highest level. So we're actually working at the plan level with these populations already today and managing them, you know, holistically across their lifetime. So, so it is happening when it comes to a lot of the players out there, like home care or transportation, or a lot of these single kind of vertical services, it is harder to create that return on investment, that value chain, right? That's necessary for them to pay for those services, right? So it is harder when you don't have the full capability, but it's really about making sure that you can quantify and, uh, and show the payers, the Medicare Advantage payers and the ACOs, the true cause effect of the work that you do and, and then monetize it that way. Let's take a look at um, home care and home health care. Some of these plans might offer the benefit, but they might not be offering the benefit over the period of time that maybe the physician might recommend. How do you get around that? Yeah, again, if you're a home care provider, the trick the trick really is is to is to again, if you don't have the data and you don't have the ability to to show that you can reduce hospitalizations or reduce acute care spend or acute care stays, it, it's more challenging. So I always recommend 
for home care providers or, or service providers that are in the long-term care side or the home community-based side to really start to track and quantify those value points that the payers really care about, right? They care about cost reduction and cost avoidance. They do care about the relationship with the member as well around the net promoter score and how connected they are to the product. But the first thing that needs to happen is that they need to show and you need to have the relationship where you can quantify your results and quantify your value. And you brought up a really good point. And we keep hearing this over and over again about how important data is for these companies. How are you, you talked a little bit about leveraging data, but could you be a little bit more specific from your perspective, how LifeSpark is leveraging data and how that will advance the company going forward? Yeah, Diane, that's a great question. And so, again, I came from the home and community-based space. Like we had home care and hospice and palliative care, and we worked in senior housing. Um, and it's taken, it's been a long journey for LifeSpark. It's been 18 years now. So as we've evolved about five years ago, Diane, I made two big commitments and two big bets. One, I started our own medical practice because attribution for these lives under these plans to be able to take global risk and real risk you need to have that capability, either a partner or yourself. So I started our own medical practice. And the second thing to your question is I started investing in a very sophisticated um, data and technology capabilities. And so we started with our first you know, chief technology officer. Then we hired, started hiring data engineers and data scientists. And Diane, we're up to about 25 data scientists that work inside LifeSpark. So we have a full data company inside of LifeSpark. And so what we started to do is we, we started to aggregate all that data from not only our EMRs, because everybody has an EMR, right? Point-click care, home care, home base. Everybody has an EMR that they play in, but nobody cross, crosses over and connects all that data together. So LifeSpark started connecting all the EMR data, as well as because we're in contracts with payers, all the claims data, as well as we're in relationships with health systems, so all the other clinical data out of the health systems out of Epic and Cerner. And creating this big data lake that allows us to aggregate it around an individual customer and then create insights around that customer based on all that data. So you start getting at the fancy words that like people like to talk about, like artificial intelligence and machine learning. We started that five years ago, Diana. So we have a massive amount of data inside of our, what we call our electronic life record, not another medical record. It's the aggregation of all those records and all that other data that we buy and we, we partner with to create a a much better picture, a complete picture for those seniors as we serve them um, and and ultimately create the analytics and data that supports our efforts to drive down cost, improve quality, improve community, and improve the work experience for those that, that are serving. So it's a complicated and big build that we've been working on for five years and investing in for five years. Given that level of sophistication that you were just talking about, can a smaller agency compete right now without partnering with a larger company or with other companies just in general? My, my answer, my quick answer to that is it, they can compete. They can't, they can't compete in global risk or in, in the risk game without partnering. I strongly recommend, like if you're a standalone home care company or a standalone hospice company, or maybe you're a standalone home care hospice and a senior housing company, all those things, but you don't have the resources as well as the insights to be able to drive to the, the the build that we committed ourselves to. Yes, absolutely partnering for sure. Partnering with other parts of the ecosystem, partnering with companies that are working on some of this pieces of this data that create efficacy and create validation for their work. You know, I love that. And I want that to happen because I want 
I want Holman community to win. And I want, I think that's where trust is. I think that's where the relationship is. And so I strongly encourage everybody that I talk to that asks me these types of questions to find partners. This is isolation is fatal. Partnerships are critical to be able to deliver on a holistic longitudinal relationship and experience that is teed up now with value-based services. We talked about that as being a big selling point for the agencies, but on the on the consumer side, when you've got that data and you're talking to a potential client, how does that resonate with them? Yeah, that's a great question too. And so I, I love that question and it really resonates with them because what LifeSpark's doing is actually using that data transparently with that member. So we're we're using different interfaces like tab technology, smartphones, any any kind of device that we can curate content, push and pull information. And we share that with them in the sense of they can participate in that and it ultimately helps them stay well and at the least restrictive environment, right? So we want them to stay independent. We want them to have choice. We want them to have the things that we all want in life, right? And so this allows them by having their own information, they can be a part of that team to actually help them uh, with what they really care about. And, and knowing that we know them and knowing that we know what's going on proactively and predictively gives them a sense of, of real comfort and, and a sense of confidence in their, in, their, uh, in their later years. And then one last thing I would say about that is we've also really started to port that information. We're building what we call a, a community, family and community loved one app. So they can actually participate as a daughter and son in that, that life planning and that that planning and that data so that not only the member, but the family can also participate and learn and be involved with the overall experience. So it's, it's kind of a twofold. It's for the client and they really love it because they know it, as we translate that to not doing something to them, but doing something with them. And then with the, with the families to give them awareness, insight and access to information that they just never had access to before, especially when they're living 2000 miles away someplace. So so I think it's a twofold and it's been very, very successful so far. And we look to continue to build that out over time. You touched on technology a little bit. You, you mentioned your app. Going forward, how are you looking at leveraging technology to improve senior care and, and possibly cut costs going forward? And then I don't think I don't think you can. I don't think you can participate and play in global risk unless you have um, significant amounts of information and insight, right? So I, I'm a strong, you know, as we as we think about LifeSpark, right, we, we are continuing to invest. Like I said, we're up to, I think we have 25 data scientists and data engineers that work here. So we have a full technology enablement company inside of LifeSpark, if you will. And all that is, is really to drive value, right? It's to drive value around first and foremost, the customer experience and how to serve them more proactively, predictably, and ultimately prescriptively. So we can obviously avoid a lot of the acute care and a lot of the trauma that happens with people going on to this roller coaster of healthcare crisis that a lot of people get onto later in their life. So that's really important for them. And then on the financial side, it's, it's really a game changer, right? Because now we can take risks just like anybody else actually, in fact, better than anybody else, because we're, we're serving these people in the home and community, right? We we're working with them on a 365, 24, seven versus, you know, a sliver of experience that they might have in a, in a primary care visit, you know, for 10 or 20 minutes or a sliver of experience, unfortunately, when they have an acute care event. So, so really the opportunity is now for us to be able to use these tools that other industries have, like, you know, obviously much of the benefit like Google and Amazon and consumer and retail and, and other industries, right. Use this as a daily tools and healthcare is behind 
And so now it's upon us to really create the experience and create the connections to use data and analytics in serving these people in a whole different way that creates incredibly improved outcomes for for seniors across the board. I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, Recently, CMS announced it was replacing the global and professional direct contracting model with this redesigned accountable care organization, Realizing Equity Access Community Health Model, or it's it's also called REACH. Um, And this new model is designed to be more equitable to people in underserved communities. And a number of senior groups have criticized it, saying that it could take choice away from seniors. But you actually told us in an earlier story about a a few weeks ago or a month ago that you support the program. What are your thoughts on REACH? Yeah, I mean, I'm standing where I was before, which is I totally support REACH and I support it in in so many different ways, right? I think that the changes that were made are, are great. I think, you know, that was good thinking and good experience from CMMI, from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to make some pivots a little bit. But you know, the, the thing is, is, you know, people have to realize at a macro level, senior services are not going in the right direction, right? We have the boomer nation is coming, right? Um, we're going to have more and more seniors. It's already unattainable in a lot of ways. And we have to be a lot smarter and a lot more effective in how we serve these seniors across long periods of time. The way to do that is to put providers, quite frankly, in the position of being at risk and being a global risk, not, not, you know, bits and parts and in, in slicing these clients up into different pieces and different subspecialties. So ACO Reach provides the, the, the opportunities for us to continue to learn. There'll, there'll be new programs, Diane, as, as, as we learn um, from a payer perspective. Uh, they'll change and morph. Um, but I really want to see um, value-based or global risk stay in the market because we've always had fee-for-service and fee-for-service has made a lot of people money and people have built businesses around that, but it hasn't really evolved to a point where it's providing proactive, preventive, complete senior health to people. And I think that's where we have it wrong in our country. And ACO reach has it right in the sense of saying, look, you have to be accountable. It's not about just doing more services and getting more money or, or whatever. It's really about serving these folks holistically and, and longitudinally and being at risk for it. And so I could be more of a proponent for ACO reach and all types of global risk uh, in the market. How are we reaching or how is CMS or or Medicare or Medicaid for that matter? How are they reaching people in some of these rural underserved areas? Is it because these people aren't getting the kind of holistic help, medical help that you just talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think rural is the next great opportunity, right? I think that it's right now people are trying to figure out in, in higher density areas I think that in, you know, a lot of areas in rural, even the MA plans are staying on cost plans because they know that they can't drive enough provider innovation in rural. So unfortunately, I think that rural's going to take a little more time, Diane. I think it's a sad state of affairs that we, I have to say that, but we're not in a position where, you know, these models are all emerging and, and people are trying to figure out how to build the right kind of architecture and the right kind of systems to serve these folks. And, you know, most of them, like us, are starting in in more of the concentrated in cities and MSAs. But by all means, our goal is to continue to branch out and figure that rural situation out. But the challenge is there's just not a lot of providers or as many providers in a lot of that rural parts of our world. You're a very forward-thinking company. And, and one of the big issues that's facing 
this industry, the healthcare industry in general right now is labor and trying to attract people into this industry, particularly when you're talking about maybe LPNs, CNAs, that kind of thing. What do we have to do as a nation or as an industry to get people into this arena? It seems like it's a problem, but there's not really an answer. What's your perspective? What's your take on this? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. That's one that obviously everybody's been dealing with, especially at the beginning of COVID and through COVID and now with the great resignation, a lot of these macro trends, right, Diane? And and I'll tell you, you know, this has been a problem going on for a long time. This isn't new. And, and people like, you know, it's, it's obviously more hot right now than ever. Uh, and it's a major, major issue. And I think, you know, I'm going to go back to what we've been talking about already in the sense of what I think is going to make that change is, First and foremost, we have to make these roles and these jobs and these these careers and these passions, quite frankly, a much better experience, right, for the workers. When we have at the physician level, you know, we talk about RVUs at LPN and RN and PTs, we talk about productivity standards and we're beating the heck out of our workforce because we're trying to play to this, you know, these fee-for-service kind of models where we're not really sharing and moving the, in my opinion, the financials in the right direction. So, what I think is going to change and what has changed at a life spark. I'll tell you, like we're hiring 30, 40 people every other week. Like, so we're hiring like crazy. Like we're, we're kind of a magnet right now. And the reason is because the culture here, because we are in global risk, we are using those, that ACE, the, the, the mentality of like an ACO reach. And, and we're obviously in Medicare advantage. We're in dual eligible populations. We're in ISNPs. So because we're working under a global risk environment, our people are able to slow down and work with people thoughtfully and avoid those catastrophic events. And by doing that, they're building deep relationships and they're seeing the actual cause and effect of their work, which puts them in the position of why they went into the profession that they went in in the first place as a CNA or as a LPN or as a physical therapist. They're actually getting to do the work. Instead of feeling like they're processing people, they're actually serving people. And I think that's what the industry has to change is that we have to be in a position where we allow the gifts of, of all of our wonderful healthcare workers to be able to deploy why they got in the business in the first place or why they got into the career in the first place. And that's, that's where the old models are running out of steam. And we need this new architecture of being able to invest and innovate and provide new solutions that are longitudinal and holistic. And that's how I think it's going to change. And that's how it must change, in my opinion, to create the cultures and the environments that draw people into the industry instead of repelling them right now. Joel Thiessen, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Diane. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.